Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, a spectacularly produced show here from the ISPS Hand of Vic Open, episode number 84, uh, joined today by two of the greatest thinkers, <laughs> writers and caddies in the, in the world of golf. Mike Clayton, hello, welcome back. Thank you, Hazy. John Huggin, welcome back to you. Nice to be here. How are the pins, boys, before we get down to tin tacks? The pins? Pins were fine. Yeah, no, I don't mean the pins on the course. I mean the pins underneath your hips. Everything's good. Oh, well, how many did I do today? I'm feeling the effects. Shall we see? I'm feeling a couple okay. of blisters. All right. Well, we can say a big hello on Facebook Live, so we, no one has to see your pin tuggy, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> Facebook Live on Golf Australia. We're going out live as we speak. So big hello to everyone watching. Don't know why you'd tune in. I'd sort of put a screen down and listen, but uh, that's a whole different story. Gentlemen, we've come to the conclusion of a, a gripping four days of golf at 13th Beach. Two worthy winners, Celine Boutier of France in the uh, French, or in the French division and the women's division as well, would you believe? And Huggy, your countryman, David Law, from, bolt from the blue in the men's. Yeah. Uh, one of the more spectacular finishes you'll ever see in tournament golf. Yeah, he'll, he'll take that hybrid shot he hit to 18th green to his grave, I'm sure. It was a fantastic effort. So at the stage he hits that shot, David Law is two shots behind Wade Ormsby of South Australia. He's lying in the middle of the fairway, a bit over 200 metres. Hits his hybrid. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that looked like it bounced over the right front bunker. It just it skirted it. Just skirted the edge. Trickled up to you know a very makeable eagle putt, six seven feet. A wee bit more, ten. but yeah, ten, ten, ten feet. feet. Let's say ten. Let's say ten. And he canned it. And I was out on the 17th tee, 17th green, sorry, at the time. That was one of the biggest roars I've heard in an Australian tournament for a long time. That was immaculate, wasn't it? What a way to finish to get to 18 under. You have to wonder how much that affected Ormsby as well. I mean, where was Ormsby when, at that moment? I'd well, love to know that. I can tell you where he was. He was on the 17th tee. Right, he's and he hit the shot that ultimately was his downfall very soon afterwards. He backed away, came back and hit it, and had a double bogey. He has had two double bogeys. He's hit really only two bad shots on the weekend. One was a bladed bunker shot on the second hole in the third round. Uh, he's hit a... I don't want to can him because he's played really well and yeah. finished tied for second. But a really poor shot. Bad decision on the 17th hole. Long and left. There's one place you can't really go. Another double bogey. He birdies the last. Finishes one shot behind in a tie with Brad Kennedy. who And the pair of those guys, the Australians, had held the lead for most of the afternoon, Clates. But it doesn't matter what happens up to hole 71, does it? Well, it does, but... Yeah, if you <laughs> double buggy to an eagle, it's never good at the end. That's no, a four-shot swing in literally in seconds. Um, it, it's just one of those, I guess, quirky things of tournament golf. 
It's a great finishing hole too. It's a wonder oh. they don't flip the order of the holes around here for the public play and the member play and play the same order as they play in this week because it's a great finish on that last hole. And for those who are unaware of that, uh, in, in club play here, the holes that are played 15, 16, 17, 18 on the beach course for the Vic Open are 1, 2, 3, 4. Then we go across the road and play what is n- currently 10 through 14 uh, as the rest of the um, the front nine. And then the back nine is the front nine <laughs> of the tournament course, if that makes sense. Uh, but it is. It's a great grandstand hole. And we have to talk about the crowds straight up here. They were phenomenal, really, weren't they? I mean, huge galleries around all the league groups walking the fairways. When they come together around the 18th, it's a great amphitheatre. Nothing better than watching people walk up the fairway with the players. I mean, you, have, you see it, used to see it every year at the Open Championship, and it was great on the, on the 18th. And back in the day, it happened every week at every tournament. That was how it was done. And as Mike uh, Clayton pointed out to me, golf is much better watched uh, down the line than face on. And he's dead right about that. That was actually a Jeff Ogilvy quote, ah, which okay. I borrowed you from, stole from him. I stole ah. from him. He's yeah. the root of everything. Golf is see. much better watched from behind, <laughs> which is true, it is. And a few dogs out there. Yeah. It was fantastic. One of the great misses, point missing parts of Australian golf, and was something we could learn from the English, is people walk their dogs on the golf course. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not so sure we can learn much from the English, but <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with the dog part. <laughs> well, why, why golf clubs in Australia don't let members walk there at least after four o'clock is such an integral part of golf in England that's fantastic and I he keeps saying England I, I can't imagine why do they, do they walk dogs in Scotland I imagine. of course they do okay yes. well yes. in Britain right um, I don't know why we don't do it and it was great to see three or four or five people out there walking their dogs on leads it was just made it even more of a human torment than it was a bit of a it was a dash out on the 17th tee when Kim Kaufman was about to hit a tee shot and he wriggled like he was trying to get water off him <laughs> it was a cracking sound to hear on a golf course that was the only blemish of the dog um, brigade clates I agree with you so um, it, it, but it's one of the lessons we take away from this tournament I'm not saying that we go back and talk about dogs for the next six months but it's one of the things because it's a very communal tournament isn't it and it's you know it was at its peak today yeah I thought it was a fantastic atmosphere my first time here First time at a tournament, anything like this, and it's uh, it's brilliant. I Did mean, it live up to our hype? Absolutely. I, I can't think of too many downsides. The only, the only mild quibble I've got when Mike disagrees with me slightly on this is that it's very difficult to set a golf course up for both men and women at this level, certainly in terms of the pin positions. But the pin positions today were extremely difficult in places, and the women are going in with longer clubs, and it makes it almost impossible for them to score as well as the men. Yeah, I think the ones who complained about the tees were missing the point a bit. The tees are not... I think, you know, hold like thing. the sixth hole, long, well, not a long par four normally, but straight back into the wind with a pin way back in that green. The girls were hitting, you know, long clubs in there. Three irons, was a yeah. lo- was a, that, that was a much easier hole for the men than it was. But, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's always going to be a tricky issue when you're trying yeah, to... Up, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's possible to do yeah. it. So, is this, the, so the solutions, the pins, not the tees? Well, I, I think the tees were perfect. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think the tees were perfect for the women, but the, the, all it proved this week, and it, it's the same every week on every tour around the world, the men hit it too far. Yeah, it's difficult to set the course up, yeah. you know, and, and challenge them when they're hitting wedged every hole. Yeah. Well, let's focus on the women's tournament for a few minutes here. We we uh, we know a little bit about Celine Boutier. We learned a lot more in a press conference. What she was. Uh, described to me when she hit the front today. Let's let's. There's so much to talk about. 
We should run down the leaderboard. How about that for a start? She's won by two strokes from Sarah Kemp, who we'll talk about a lot more in a second. Sue O, who had her chances and couldn't quite get it done. Charlotte Thomas, who bounced back, the English woman, who bounced back from a horrendous third round yesterday. She was headless walking off, didn't know what had gone wrong. Uh, remarkably, Catherine Kirk, without having done anything spectacular, um, pulled through the field, as, as did Aza Munoz and Haru Namura in a share of fifth at five under. Then we go back to Jody Hewitt-Shadoff, Kim Kaufman, who we need to talk about here, Lauren Stevenson as well, in a share of eighth place. Uh, gentlemen, Suo. Let's talk about Suo before I describe Celine Boudier. What did you make of her? I know you're very close to her, Clates. She's had so many chances there today, and she was visibly upset when she was talking to us afterwards about you know, having let another one slip in her home state. Well, I said last night, I think, she was done with smoke and mirrors yesterday and partly on Friday as well and she the, the holes I got to her on the fifth hole and at that stage she dropped four shots in the first four holes so so remember Matt Gog we did a podcast with Matt Gog in a while ago talking about when he played with Tom Watson on the last round of the Open at Turnberry that Watson mm. should have won golf's greatest tragedy <laughs> and Stuart Sink wow um <laughs> And Matt spoke about knowing he had to survive the first hour. It's such a big thing in golf. People don't talk about it much. But, you know, Sue completely failed to survive the first hour today. But after that, she was terrific. Mm. You know, if that chip goes in at the 15th, which it easily could have, or Bertie misses that 25-footer after an awful chip from 20 yards off the green, then she's a shot behind and it's game on. Well, if hers had gone in, they're all square. Yeah. Uh, but so so that that was where everything twisted on that and that. So that's the fifteenth hole that Clates is talking about, the drivable par four. Yeah. Um and, and and Sue was twenty metres off the front, um, Celine a bit further back, uh, and played a terrible pitch. It was no good at all. It was B grade club level, it yeah. wasn't flash at all. Sue's chip hooked out hard, sat there for the tap in birdie, but the resultant putt from Boutier was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. And and, and maintained her two stroke edge, which she just uh, kept that buffer through to the to the uh, to the finish line. Um, Boutier was described to me during the day by someone who knows as a really good front runner, great collegiate player. If a Duke in in the United States um, has done a lot of things, she was world number one amateur for what that's worth, Clates, for quite a while. But when she gets her nose in front, she can find that finish line, and she did that nicely today. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, she played well. So it was a. Uh Amazing day for Sarah Kemp. How was that? She was out, what, in the first group or something? Yeah. Well, well we should talk about Kempy now. So, so Sarah Kemp, like your two players, Katrina Matthew and Christina Kim, all finished at one over the card after the third round yesterday and for the, all intents and purposes were out of the tournament till Teresa Liu of Taiwan made a triple bogey very late on a very hard afternoon on Saturday, brought all the plus one players back in. Sarah Kemp double bogeyed her first hole today in the second group out on course an unplayable lie, took the penalty, made a double bogey, and was at that stage, at three, she was 13 strokes behind Kim Kaufman. I mean, she's gone. For all intents and purposes, she's gone. Yeah. Five birdies in a row from the fourth, four more on the back nine, 65, seven under par, equaled the course record that Kari Webb set on Friday, uh, and has had by far the biggest payday of her life. She was one shot behind for a fair chunk of the back nine. And, and in fact, until Celine Boudier made that birdie putt on 15, yeah. she was one shot off the lead. 
And I, I don't want to speak too much of, of uh, Sarah Kemp's um, habits off the course, but I will say that there may be a slim chance, Huggy, that she might have snuck away and had a cider to celebrate her 65 before lunchtime today because it was going to be a big check regardless. So she's getting pretty nervous and reaching for the waters at around 3 o'clock, thinking <laughs> she might have to come back for a playoff. But, uh, yes, an amazing day, $109,000 roughly Australian today. Her previous best payday, Clates, was 53000 in Morocco last year. But she has almost effectively regained her status by the time they re-rank in May. She'll have largely a lot of tournaments to play on the LPGA Tour this year when she was going to have almost none. Uh, it's resurrected a career in one fell swoop, thanks to Reza Lou. Yeah, she needs to obviously play well in that start she gets. And you know, you've got to make up, what, 150000 to get exempt on that tour? So she's more than halfway there, which is great. She's a nice kid, terrific. She uses a set of Mayura irons. Ah. Throwing her bag that day. Not many people play Mayura, but Tiger Woods. Not many people Tiger Woods them. apparently played Mayura. Stamped with something else, I think, oh, didn't he? That's unheard of in golf. I've never <laughs> heard of yeah, such never a happened before, would it? Would. <laughs> Jeez, we're breaking news here on, on Facebook Live on the Golf Australia live stream. Mayura, what, what are you talking about? Well, they're handmade Japanese irons. They're beautiful clubs. Probably the best clubs in the world. And she had oh, snuck a set of those into a bag. There'll be, there'll be a set on its way to your home in Melbourne <laughs> with, within no. days, I would think. That's no, nice. So that's Celine Boudier. Uh, she is the. Uh, well, I've got to find some notes here about Celine Boudier, um, Huggy. What What did you take out of her game when you when you watched it this afternoon? What was the thing that struck you about the way she played? The putts, the putts she held at the end. I mean, it wasn't just the one on fifteen. She held two. Stout putts on sixteen and seventeen for so, par. Some of them was a beauty, yeah. That really you know was. that was real stabs to to Suo's heart. Those those three holes, yeah. And it's it's always it's more difficult for Sue because she was right there and you know had it right done in her face. Uh, so I wouldn't criticize Sue too much. I mean, I think she you know yeah. she did really well as Mike says. She got a terrible start and she hung in there and she's clearly not at the t- you know at the top of her game. So to finish tied second. I think when she has time to sit down and reflect on it, she'll look on that as a pretty good performance given what she what had. She had yeah. yeah, it was maybe her B game at which, best. Which is a sign of a good professional, Absolutely. isn't it? To bank a big Absolutely. check when you're yeah. struggling. Yeah. Now, we don't normally bring A-grade research to the table, but today uh, we have. Clates, I could tell you that uh, Celine Boutier is the fourth French golfer to win an LPGA <laughs> Tour event. Did you know that? Well, I do know I'm reading it off the screen here. <laughs> yeah. Now, now what, you, what you probably don't know mm. is every chance. Is she's the third French professional golfer to win on the LPGA yeah. Tour. Oh, that's, because that's Catherine the, the Lacoste. The great Catherine Lacoste was an amateur when she won the 1968 US Open. That's right. Now, that's not written on my screen. So that's for not everyone, on your for screen. For everyone watching, could turn that around. That's not on my screen. That's not on your screen. That's some impressive stuff from you, Clayton. Everyone knows that Catherine Lacoste won the US Open in 1968. <laughs> Come on. I don't, reckon, I don't reckon Mr. and Mrs. Lacoste remember I'm that. Not, I'm not sure Catherine Lacoste ever needed to turn pro, really. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> Given no, the shirt her <laughs> grandfather? I think so, yeah. 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 That, uh, yeah. Do they even know she played? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> The other French women to have won on the LPGA Tour, Patricia Mounier-Lebuc, your favourite, Huggy. A star. Great player. Uh, and she's won twice. And Anne-Marie Pally, also a really good player mm. for quite a period of I time. she was a skier, but that's... Uh, <laughs> that's not Jean-Claude Gilly. <laughs> <that's what> <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We're just getting a little bit loose here for my liking with the camera rolling. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, great win for Celine Boutier. She's saying, and she was very... Um, uh, Spoke beautifully about the cause of the tournament too, didn't she? She was adamant about the equality of it and the the 
I guess the open nature of having the crowds walking the fairways and strolling the fairways, she was she was a pleasure to talk to afterwards, wasn't she? Yeah, my boss Christina Kim talking to the Premier thought this was as exciting an event for her as the Solheim Cup. Really? And she said, if I can't convince five or six of the top 20 players to come back next year, I haven't done my job. So I can tell you she loved this tournament. It's great fun. She couldn't believe how much fun it was. Well, there wouldn't be too many more persuasive people in the locker room than no, Christina Kim would no. be. So <laughs> I think you know, I think this will go from... We need to make sure we don't get swallowed up in the hype of all this. But of course. I think this will go from strength to strength, this tournament. The, the fields will get better, and as the fields get better, the... the promoters, the, the people who sponsor it will tip in more prize money and the fields mm. will get better because there's more money and yeah, it's a terrific Snowball. event. Yep, it will. So I just want to know before we move back to the men's tournament I want to know, so Katrina Matthew you're what, you're a looper for her what, what, how do you describe her? Is she your boss? Yeah, well she certainly was she was in charge, I, I just did what I was told So, so she's going to bank 5,659 US dollars for yeah. finishing in the share of 40th What's yeah. your cut of that, Huggy? I think it's somewhere between zero and zero <laughs> And Clay, what about you? Christina's finished in the tie of 27th 9,077 US dollars You may get what the 77 I'm on zero and z- Well, I, I think she's going to slip in for my wife's um, FN next week to Adelaide Which is very nice oh, Is that so right? 400 bucks, yeah, perfect Oh, Deb's got to be pretty happy with that. She's very happy with that. Maybe. But yeah. No, she's taking us to dinner tomorrow night. Ah, so she's... No, we're, we're, Huggy and I, we're, we're, we work for free. I'm work sure. for free. We love to work for free. Cutting should, yep. should always be a labour of love. <laughs> well, fact, talking about Christina, I didn't. she did not ask me one single thing this week. In fact, in fact we, the, what I could see from the group up ahead... There was no point in asking you no. anything because you were off <laughs> chatting to people in the crowd. But she did on, on the eighth hole. I pointed out the Norfolk Island pine. She looked at me like, what the heck's a Norfolk Island pine? Yeah. The Norfolk Island pine at Bowen Heads, which you aim at off the eighth tee. Yeah. And the, the, the third day she said, I think I'll go right of that tree today. So she goes, right. I'm going, well, okay, if you're sure. Yeah. So she goes right of the tree and blasts it right in the rubbish on the right. And she gets down and said, Oh, it's the wrong hole. I thought it was the tent. <laughs> so she had completely, completely the wrong hole there. So today she gets on the first hole, pull the driver out and give her the driver, and she kind of, I think I had three wood here today. <laughs> so she takes the three wood out and busts the three wood up the fairway. She's got like 180 yards. Said, wrong hole. <laughs> wrong hole again. <laughs> I thought it was another hole. I, I had no idea what hole she thought it was. Well, but exactly. <laughs> she was about 50 yards right now. So on the fairway as wide as the MCG. So hopefully with Great communication yeah, skills. Yeah. yeah. So, But interesting. She never asked me one thing apart from what we had for dinner last night and what do you think of Donald Trump and all the things that she talks about. And in an era when caddies have injected themselves into the game, because in on the US tour they get a hundred thousand dollars if the player wins, yeah. so they need to feel like they're doing something. Well, so I, she's a throwback to Hogan, Thompson, Nicholas. Never ask a caddy a thing. Yeah. Pull your own clubs. She's I know my game better than anyone. I don't want to do. Just carry the clubs and talk to me. So you know, it was a throwback to the, the old days when players never asked a caddy a thing. I kind of wish that my player had been a bit more like that because it puts you under my goodness the pressure when she says to you, "What do you think? What club do you think?" And you go. 
I've no really idea. I, mean, you know, I think that's hard work on a part-time caddy. Well, it is. No, but, not, uh, but, but I mean, I know her game, and, and yeah. you know, she's pretty much she has the same clubs I do, which is fine. So, but I mean, no one would play golf like Kristen in this era. There wouldn't be no. one professional golfer no, who would never ask a caddy a thing. Mm. On the, not one thing. Well, I hate to tell you this, but maybe it's just you. Huggy, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's flick across to this the uh, the great Scottish rampage through the top of the leaderboard mm. at the Vic Open. Um, we brushed on David Law. What can you tell us about him? I know that the uh, Walker Cup selectors of a few years ago would really be tearing their hair out with a terrible decision yeah. they made. <laughs> oh, was he the one they left out of the team? 2011 at Royal oh, Aberdeen that was in, that his, one. in his hometown. He was oh. the Scottish amateur champion twice in three years just before that. He'd won the Scottish Boys and he won the Northern Open, which is a pro event, uh, right after the team was announced, which is quite a big deal. You get almost two standard players mm. playing in that and he won it comfortably how he wasn't picked is it's still a mystery to this day I mean you can laugh about it but I'm sure he still thinks about it a little bit I mean it would have been well, a big deal for it's him it's not a Mickey Mouse thing it's the Walker no, Cup it's, yeah. so why didn't they why didn't they pick him was he in he, college in America or something no no, that? no no he was you know, he, he'd done everything that you're supposed to do to get in the walk. So, so they had to slide an Irish. There was an Irish selector who had to get one that, of the Irish well, boys in or something. Or? Well, my feeling on the Walker British Walker Cup team, British and Ireland Walker Cup team, is that they've never picked the best team yeah. because there's so much politics involved. There's four countries, and I think the selectors from each country go in, you know, trying to get two from their two yeah. Scots, three English. I thought that if the team was, you know, the best team was ten Englishmen, Pick that up. that wouldn't be the team, mm. or ten Scots or whatever. Get rid of the politics. Let's yeah. talk about the Aussie so boys. So how, how many of the how many of the that team are still playing prof- are playing professional golf? Well, the American team had uh, Jordan Spieth, so Spieth, that's right, and Thomas, right? Yeah. How right. many of the British team are still playing? Not many. The the lad Burn, the Scottish lad, uh, he was from Aberdeen as well. He's disappeared off to some Asian minor tour. I mean, not many. I mean, if any. I think, oh, Tom Lewis was the star. Tom Lewis, team. okay. He was the best one. He's doing well, obviously, in Europe. Okay. So another Scotsman today came through as we try and wrap this into one package here. David Drysdale, Huggy, had a nice 67 to close today. Yeah. Uh, another one of your countrymen. Well, I know a lot about David Drysdale. Um, he's from the same part of the world as me. In fact, uh, literally the same town. I've known David Drysdale since he was a very small boy. Um, he turned pro early. I uh, didn't have much of an amateur career, but he, um, he famously, at least in Dunbar, Played with um, <laughs> John Daly as a marker in the 1992 Open at Muirfield. Is that right? Yes. So that was his first step on the road to fame. Famously in Dunbar. There's a yeah. phrase you don't hear very yeah, often indeed. in Australia. Yeah. John Daly. On the last yeah. day. Uh, nice. I think it was the third day he played them. So. so of the Aussie boys, Wade Ormsby and Brad Kennedy had kicked clear two, two, three shots clear, mostly of Justin Harding through the afternoon. In fact, Brad Kennedy, Justin Harding and David Law... Who finished one, two, and four on the uh, on the leaderboard were in the second to last group, um, and they were sort of having their own little battle away from uh, Wade Ormsby, who who was leading for much of the day with Brad Kennedy, um, but David Law just ripped through them at the end with the the big finish, a uh, birdie on sixteen, an eagle on eighteen, uh, tremendous golf, called a penalty on himself too, I believe, mm-hmm. in the midway point of his yeah. round, um, so he did it in an honourable way, just said Brad Kennedy had yesterday. What do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? What, what are you going to praise, no. praise a man for not robbing the bank? No, no. I'm just saying he did the right okay, thing. You, you, can, you can be nice in this world, Clay. You don't have to clip it in everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby Jones. Thank yeah. you, Bobby Jones. Yeah. Uh, Brad Kennedy and Wade Ormsby finished in a share of second at 17 under. Justin Harding, 
uh, at 16 under outright fourth. David Branson always seems to bank a nice check when he comes back home to play uh, and on, on his Victorian soil. David Drysdale, as we mentioned, a tie for fifth. As Jason Scrivener, who made a truckload of birdies on the back nine, I think he was 36 out and 31 home for 67 after a, bouncing back after a pretty rough day yesterday in his third round. It's an expensive pickup. He picked up his market, didn't he? Well, what a, Mind you, Bernard Langer did that, so it's, and I've done that. So, yeah. um, you, you've done you all sorts done? of things I've on the greens. Yeah, so, so, That's well, a whole new podcast that yeah. we talk about what you've done on the greens. Yeah. <laughs> an expensive shot, wasn't it? And just rounding out the top ten, Nick Colsarts from Belgium and Clement Sorday, who uh, also got himself in a bit of trouble today, and he, he was going beautifully, but ended with a 67, a share of eight. I want to shout-out to Nick Flanagan, who fought really hard uh, on the weekend, didn't have his best stuff, but still managed to tie for tenth, and that's, uh, that's going to stand him in good stead. Looking further down the leaderboard, Blake Windred uh, was, found himself in trouble today. He had a triple bogey th- uh, six on the third, on the par three. He hooked it out of bounds. I believe it was a back left pin there. Yeah, but, yeah well, it's a long way left out of bounds, though. But you can do it. He thought he hit a good shot. Oh, yeah, and it right. Finished, no, he actually told me he thought it just... He th- no, you'd obviously disagree <laughs> with where the pin is, but he thought he hit a good shot. Obviously, it wasn't. He blocked his second tee shot, his third, down to the front right nervously. Three putted for a six. Other than that, he's, he's bounced back really well for 71 to keep Dave Michaluzzi at bay and be the low amateur on the men's side. And Amy Hong, uh, Yayoon Hong, but happily goes by her English name, Amy, the Korean, was the low amateur on the women's side. Um, Blake Windage really starting to show something for mine, Clates. I don't know if you watched him play much at the Australian Amateur or at Avondale or anything like that. The Avondale champion two weeks ago. Oh, you won Avondale? No, I didn't go up there, but no. Yeah, good. So, was he? It's from, from Sydney? He, uh, I, he's should, from, I should know more about him than I, than I do. Well, I know more about him. I can, well, you can tell us about him. He's from Charlestown, just in the suburbs of Newcastle. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's a... Up, I would imagine he, he climbed to 15th in the world amateur rankings as a result of his win at Avondale, and I reckon today we'll probably bump him up another slot or two. Um, it always gets big big pro points uh, when you do well in a professional tournament, especially with the strength of field of this one. Blake Windred might be pushing the, the boundaries of the, or the, what would you say? The top 10? The top 10, yeah. So Good. great for him. Dave Michaluzzi was the other amateur who qualified for the final round. He had a 73 I think he was pretty tired after a big few weeks, Mika. So he's tied for 30th. Another great result in a big, strong field. So uh, any other names there that jump out at you guys that you want to talk about as we scroll down the leaderboard? Mm-hmm. Jeff Ogilvy uh, had a 76 today. I'm not sure what productivity you'll get out of him in the office tomorrow, Clayton. He's off to Perth. And he's, Jeff's in, he's first time he's played for about six months. Yeah, no. He needs to Well, he needs to decide what he's going to do with his golf, really. He's still, he's still got an athletic, strong body. He still plays beautifully, so... He needs to, if he wants to, he needs to work hard to, to get back to, perhaps not to where he was, but you know he's way better than where he is at the moment. But you know he needs to apply himself to his golf if he, if yeah. he wants to play as well as we know he can. That's a fair assessment. So he's no shame finishing three under there in a 35th in the Vic Open, the first time he's played it in 21 years. Uh, Nick Cullen was a bit flat after his even pass 72, finished tied 24th. Jason Norris a 70 to finish tied 22nd. Marcus Fraser was headless. He, <laughs> he, was, he got off to a rollicking start today, Fraser, and looked like he could make a charge up a pretty congested leaderboard and gave it all back on the, on the, um, on the back nine. And I, <laughs> I made the fatal mistake. He's a great man, Fraser, don't get me wrong. But I made the fatal mistake of trying to talk to a bloke after and I didn't realise he'd bogeyed the 18th. 
It's never good as a journalist. Don't do that. Don't do Rookie that. mistake. Should have known better. Mistake. <laughs> Kathy Shear was the expert at getting Greg in the yeah. press turn after he had a bad finish. She was the only one who could do it. How did she do that? Can you say that without getting us in trouble? No, she threatened him with physical violence. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just about wraps us up from uh, 13th Beach. Huggy, have you got one thing that you're going to take away with you from your first Vic ISPS Hander Vic Open experience? Well, yes. I mean, the, the just the overall vibe of the, the whole thing is, is fantastic. I haven't heard one negative comment all week. I mean, we talked earlier about what the, the winners said. You'd expect them to say it was wonderful and great, and, and it was, but... I haven't heard one person, one player come close to saying anything negative about this tournament. I think it's it's got a big future, and as Mike pointed out earlier, I think it's only going to go from strength to strength. I know there was a glint in the Premier's eye, Clates, when he, yeah, uh, he was, was very, walk, very walking the really? fairways with the rest of the throng and just seemed to be right in his element, didn't he? Yeah, well, he's a golf lover, so that's great. But, you know, and it's an event that he's been a huge supporter of financially, which is the, the key to making golf events work is government's contributing and he's done an amazing job and, and created a great regional event so and I from my perspective I think it's been a great exercise and there's been some you know there's some small teething issues you would expect that um, with the ALPG the PGA of Australia the European Tour and the LPGA Tour all combining there's bound to be some teething problems for the first time but I think it worked very well and I can speak from within the camp and say that, um, you know, I think they're all pretty proud and happy with what's been achieved here. So. It should be, and hopefully the, the bigger names in both the men's and the women's game will take note and, and make an effort to come. No doubt. Well, thank you for watching on our Golf Australia Facebook live stream. The very good-looking gentleman on my far left, <laughs> your far right, is John Huggin. This is Mike Clayton. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Hazy. Well, pleasure. Uh, see, you, see you next week in Adelaide. Perfect. Cannot wait to get to the uh, ISPS Hander Women's Australian Open at the Grange. Uh, remarkably, this is episode 84. We'll probably bob up and have a crack at episode 85 in two days' time, maybe Tuesday afternoon, I'm being told by my trusty producer, that uh, we'll have a crack at that and we'll continue the road to the Women's Australian Open. I'm yet to confirm a guest, but I'll, I've got something in the pipeline. I won't give it away right now. That No, Greg, that's not, that's not a... I, I do have something in the pipeline that's not uh, sort of cryptic for I haven't got anyone I think we no should clue. bring our bosses in should we yeah you think I, I think we'll conscript our bosses to come in and maybe that's a possibility yeah. maybe that's a possibility and we are we going to have another crack at doing something every day from the Grange thumbs are up from the producer so we, we'll, we'll race to 100 very soon here but for the time being thanks so much for joining us here in Barwon Heads at 13th Beach Golf Links that's episode 84 of Inside the Ropes appreciate your time fellas very good and we'll chat to you all later.